Everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Once again, everyone, Big Dave Lemon along with Joe Rodriguez, uh, another edition of Poker Action Line as Poker World continues to try to uh, make a comeback from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Big Dave and Joe, Joe, how are you doing today? Uh, good to have you back. I uh, hope you're feeling well. I am, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, everything's going well. <laughs> just just the same, the pressures that I had forgotten all about when I was running the room are now back. <laughs> Back in my life again. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Uh, well, at least you don't have to deal with uh, selling your company for $6.25 billion like the uh, <laughs> the Las Vegas Sands Corporation did uh, last week, uh, less than two months after Sheldon Adelson passed away. Really? Yeah. Pretty amazing, So they're huh? getting out of the casino business? Is that what you're saying? Well, they're going to concentrate on Macau because they sold basically what they did was they sold uh, pretty much every part of the business. And uh, it's pretty incredible. They, uh, you know, the uh, the Palazzo, the Venetian and uh, the Sands Convention Center, all part of the sale. And, uh, you know, basically they're moving out of Vegas for the most part and concentrating on another part of the business, I think. And uh, who who bought it all? Who took it over? Well, let me give you the company here. It was uh, two companies actually will be running the business, and it's not actually uh, for sure which one is going to do it. But there's a company called uh, VICI Properties, VC Properties, and a G Apollo Global Management for a combined six point two five billion dollars. Apollo bought the operating company for $2.25 billion, and VC is buying the underlying land and real estate for $4 billion. So looks like Apollo is going to be the operating company. But uh, pretty crazy. Uh, you know, you just got to think that uh, when, as the old man was getting sicker and sicker, they were just waiting to jump on it after he passed away. Oh, yeah. And then hopefully uh, well, they won't be sticking their nose as far as, uh, you know, uh online poker and all the other stuff that that you know that was his passion the last few years of his life to fight against you know yeah it's un it's unsure uh, whether they're going to really uh, expand their business in the US uh they made up only 13% of their company's total revenue in 2019 so uh wasn't the main thing they, uh and Macau dropped way off by the way uh obviously because of the pandemic and the numbers were, yeah. were way lower so uh, they're going to change uh, the name to Sands, and uh, to reflect the fact the the fact that uh, it no longer owns any property in the city. So, uh, pretty crazy. Wait, wait. I'm sorry, Dave. You said they're, he's going to. They're going to change the name to Sands. The the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. That was that was the name of the company before. Uh, since they're not in Vegas anymore. But they will operate their, uh, you know, worldwide operation. They're changing their name just to Sands. Uh, Apollo, I don't know what they're going to call the, uh, if they're going to change the names of the buildings or not. That hasn't been uh, named yet. But uh, this is the first major investment for Apollo in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. So we'll see what happens. Oh, 
Okay, very good. But they're not changing the names of the hotels. The, the I don't think so. Well, we Bravo, don't know yet. Right? They haven't. I don't think they made a decision on that, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, okay, very good. That's interesting. It, the uh, it's pretty weird because right at this time, in fact, today is the final day of the uh, WPT tournament at the Venetian. Uh, they finished up yesterday with day two. James Carroll, who uh, actually won the Seminole tournament uh, in 2019, I was there at the final table, or actually as they played down to a final table uh, before they moved on to uh, play, play the final table in Vegas later on. But that's, uh, he had the uh, uh, Mike Sexton's Championship Cup back in 2014 when he won the Shooting Star. And then, of course, last year, or in 2019, he wins the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Showdown. So uh, they'll be playing down. Uh, Chip counts. He has 2.69 million. Trace Henderson is second. George Wolf in third. And uh, the only other player I'm really familiar with in the final table is Tony Sinishtaj, who also won a big tournament, the Semo Hard Rock. He's in ninth place right now. But they're uh, getting underway, I guess, shortly out there, if not just underway, and playing down to a finish. It was also uh, noted, by the way, that the uh, Seminole Hard Rock will be playing their final table this year out in Vegas. Uh, they haven't even started that. Obviously, it's in April. But uh, they will be going back and uh, playing that final table. So they are renewing some of these other things. Uh, the, uh, the final table of, for the Gardens Poker Championship, which was in L.A. and was supposed to be played last year in May as a final table. They delayed it for over a year now, and uh, they are going to play that starting tomorrow. So when this Venetian ends, they'll be the WPT will be switching over to the Hyper X Sports Arena. So they'll be playing over there. But they've named uh, these final table tournaments for the Borgata and the LA Poker Classic with all coming up that will be played uh, over the next couple of months. So at least things kind of getting back to normal, I guess, uh, as you know, they try to get these things done. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm telling you about that. Well, we're hoping that by the end of the year, I, to be honest with you, I'm hoping that, you know, come May or June, they can at least do, you know, if not the whole schedule of the WSOPs, at least part of it and get the main event in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we'll see on these things. Uh, by the way, the Gardens uh, tournament, the final table, I don't have the whole list right in front of me, but uh, Chance Corneth, I know. Uh, who we've had on the show before, is the chip leader among the final six players. So that will take place tomorrow on the 10th, March 10th, and they'll finish that up. So everything kind of happening at the same time out there, especially for the uh, uh, the connections with the Seminole Hard Rock, which is uh, pretty amazing here. Uh, there's a, a rumor going around out there that the Seminole tribe could possibly operate the Venetian. Uh, they've been uh, looking at several properties on the Strip. Caesars, I guess, is also a pop possibility as uh, this VC Properties kind of takes over for the uh, real estate part of the buy. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. There's lots of stuff happening. Uh, of course, anything any company does right now until all the vaccines are out and things change to get back to normal is somewhat of a gamble, I would say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I mentioned on the show either last week or the week before, they're now up to 35% occupancy in their hotels. Okay. So, 
at least they're moving up little by little, you know, moving the trend up a little by little. So, um, you know, this is this is good news, Dave. This is this is uh, you know, people with a lot of money and to to invest and saying uh, they believe that uh, you know the world is going to go back to somewhat uh, normal normalcy that we had prior to this. So, yeah, absolutely. Well. Um, what can you do except roll with the punches? Really, you know, it's it's very difficult to uh, decide what to, what to do with some of these tournaments. Obviously, there's a lot of money on the line, a lot of uh, people working for you. You know, you think of all the dealers; uh, they have to make a decision if they're going to travel to Vegas and work some of these, you know, final table events. And uh, you know, with a chance that something could happen, someone could test positive, and the whole thing could get canceled, and your trip would be for naught. Yeah, well, listen, uh, the chances that somebody's going to be bringing something over there when they've got thousands of people, I wonder if they're going to limit the fields. And like you mentioned with, uh, you know, dealers, uh, just the, the large number of dealers that you have to have to be able to do that, um, I'd love to hear what their plans are, you know, assuming that they can get this rolling uh, come late May, early June, you know, yeah, I uh, would love to hear what their plans are there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's, let's come back to local Florida action because there's a couple of big tournaments that are getting underway here in just the next few days. One in Jacksonville and one in Palm Beach. I'll give you those uh, uh, information on those two tournaments uh, upcoming. But uh, just finishing this past weekend was uh, the third of four events in the Escalator Series at the Seminole Hard Rock. Uh, the first two were uh, big chops. Uh, I think a, uh, a nine-player chop, then a seven-player chop. And the third one, which was this past weekend, uh, was a $400 buy-in, and they played down to a winner. Uh, Richard Isagari, uh, Ricardo Isagari, I should say, uh, won the event for 46000 But uh, there's one left to go in that. Uh, if you're looking about the numbers there, $150,000 guarantee prize pool. And they had 806 players, so the prize pool ended up being uh, 200, close to $275,000. So that finished up over the weekend. And uh, they will play number four coming up. Uh, again, we're seeing lots of new players in these big tournaments. So uh, um, I think the only one I really recognized from the final table of that one was Matt Zarkadoulis, who was a local Miami player. But uh, Andrew Fahey finished second. Uh, Roberto Bendek was fourth. David Vergate was fifth. But they are playing the the tournaments, and and obviously they're they're limited a little bit. They're limiting their their uh, opening sessions to 120 players, uh, so that they can get it into the regular card room. And uh, you know there is six sessions, so you can get a pretty good number when it comes right down to it. But um, you know, this is kind of like a dry run before the uh, Seminole Hard Rock uh, Showdown main event starts on April 23rd. So on April 23rd, they have uh, – how long is that session going to be? I mean, is it a week long, 10 days, two weeks? Well, it's a whole tournament set. Uh, let me give you the uh, schedule. Uh, that will be starting on April the 15th with a $600 buy-in. And they will be playing six sessions, opening sessions in that one. That is the opening event. And then when you move along, there's, I believe, uh, let's see, there's a total of 29 events. 
including the main event, which uh, starts, see that starts on April the 23rd, a $3,500 buy-in with a $2 million guarantee. It'll be the 23rd and the 24th, just two opening sessions there, both starting at 11 a.m. as they play through to the final day on uh, Tuesday, April the 27th. Tuesday. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And we always uh, kind of let you know when the seniors is the 50 plus seniors tournament is a $400 buy-in starts on April the 14th. If you're interested, <laughs> I would say you're way too busy now though. Oh, absolutely. Would be my guess. Absolutely. <laughs> Those days are going to have to wait till I retire. Anyway, so. uh, Ricardo Isaac wins the uh, third of four tournaments. Uh, so he gets a free, and everybody, actually everyone at the final table gets a free entry into the final one, which is this coming weekend. Actually starts on March the 10th uh, with the Flight A, and then uh, that is at 10 a.m. and Flight B at 6 p.m. The total of six flights in that one as well through Saturday, March the 13th, and then they'll come back for day two on the 14th at noon. $600 buy-in in this one. 200,000 guarantee but the interesting thing I guess is they're putting out these guarantees and uh, you know probably a little conservative when you make a decision you obviously don't want to fall short that would be the worst thing that could happen but they're almost doubling the guarantee in, in all these tournaments which is pretty uh, you know says something for their their popularity and the desire of people to travel down to Florida to play of course we're in uh, spring break now too so a lot of people can take a break from college and come down and play in a big poker tournament yeah, well, they've met all those guarantees that they had in their tournament in January, if you remember, Big Dave. Right. Yes, they did. You know, they uh, and not, and much like you say, with limited fields, which you know that's very impressive because yeah. they 119, 120 people, I believe, right? Yes, exactly. So you know that's very impressive what they're doing, but that just lets you know how many people are out there that are just. Jones and and and, that. and I can attest to that from this Sunday. I mean, you know, I we spoke about this the modest five thousand dollar guaranteed sixty dollar buy in tournament that I had, you know, at the last Sunday of the last two months. Well, this past Sunday, I must have fielded twenty calls asking me at what time the tournament was starting on Sunday. <laughs> People just assume them, it's every week, then, right? They were assuming it was every week, and you know, uh, and I'm also limited at current, you know. Current, stat, uh, current status at 49 players at any one time. And, uh, you know, I had to tell them, no, you know, we're scheduling it for the last Sunday of this month, which is the 28th. But, you know, that just gives you an idea of, you know, nobody's really running even those small local tournaments that they used to run, you know. And people at Jones informed, <laughs> Big Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, how are you? How is your regular turnout in the room? Been pretty good? Yeah, we had we actually had a hell of a week um, uh, at weekend, I should say, for the poker and the casino itself had a hell of a week. But the poker room, we had a great Friday night, great Saturday, and uh, you know, as is the case right now, uh, due to staffing, you know, Sundays is a little slow. But um, you know, our Saturday promotions of four thousand uh, dollars, two thousand going to the top hand paying off 4000 to the top four hands, and, you know, people are just loving the hell out of that promotion. Uh, every single Saturday just gets filled up quicker, 
and, uh, you know, stays all the way through the promotional hours. So uh, very happy with that, uh, Big Dave. Very yeah. happy with that turnout. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, let's shift gears a little bit, uh, do a couple of uh, strategy-type things. I want to talk about uh, a hand that's very interesting that was in Card Player a couple of months ago that Jonathan Little talked about. I want to get to that. But there's an interesting article that I was just reading about uh, five reasons not to make a continuation bet. Uh, when you hear the word continuation bet, what is your thought going into tournaments? Is it like always a must? Uh, uh, it depends on the players at your table. What are your thoughts going into uh, a discussion about the continuation bet and how important it is? Well, it all depends on how uh, how well perceived you are as a player, what you're capable of. Uh, there's so much that goes into it, Dave, you know, um, at size of the tournament, you know, um, positioning who's behind you. There's, there's so many different, uh, variances that you can have that, you know, for me to answer that, you'd have to put me in one of them and I'd let you know how I would feel like it. If people believe me to be someone who's only raising with pocket aces, pocket kings, you know, uh, you know, a top two or three premium hand, um, and the flop came out very ugly, I'd do the continuation bet. Uh, you get called. Uh, <laughs> then on the turn, you might want to slow it down if you don't get any help. I guess so, when you when you, when you you define a seabed, it's basically after you have made a pre-flop raise uh, in the first uh, uh, orbit, um, if you don't raise before the flop and then lead out with a bet, it's sometimes referred to as uh, either a leading bet or a donk bet. Well, you're kind of letting people know that you that you hit the board. Right. You know, I would imagine, or unless you're known as someone who's trying to steal it and, and you're playing off on that, you know, but there's so much different ways. I mean, what, what does the book say that you were just mentioning right now, the five different reasons not to do that? Well, we'll get to that in just a second, but uh, uh, I just was going to ask you before we do, when you, uh, you are, le say you're uh, under the gun, and, uh, you know, obviously it depends on your hand, but do you ever just limp out there, or do you always either, what a lot of people recommend is raise right away or or fold well it, it, it works on the dynamics of the table dave if i know i've got a monster hand but i've got somebody who's act who's who's going to act after me and you know nine out of ten hands eight out of ten hands that person's going to put in a raise because that's just their style of play or or you just assume somebody on the table is going to do that um i would check allowing me to put in you know uh, get other people's money in there and then push a bet on there. If if I believe that I've got nothing but a station of callers who won't act unless they're forced to, then I would put out a bet out there. Because if they're like that, they're never going to try to put you on the type of hand that a really good player is going to put you on. You know, if you're if if you're perceived as a good player, they're just going to say, well, he might have ace ten. You know, he might have pocket sevens. And these calling stations are just going to put out their bets there and hope to hit the flop. While, you know, anybody who's studying you and knows that you're a good player, 
you lead out with a nice size raise, I would imagine they'll figure you to have something serious seven or eight out of ten times. Uh, it's it's how you change up your betting system, you know, what people know you to raise with. You know, if you raise with pocket aces the same way that you do when you have, say, six, seven suited, you know, then, then it's very hard for anybody to gauge you and – for me, that's an optimal place to be, Dave, because you don't ever want them pigeonholing you into a situation where they're going to be right eight out of the ten times. Right. Well, most successful players certainly know the advantages of C-betting. Uh, there are, in this story, five examples of situations to not go ahead with the post-flop uh, continuation bet. So let's run down a couple of those. First of number one, obviously, is if you miss the flop. Uh, he said, you don't want to be predictable and only bet when you have something, check when you don't. Uh, missing the flop is a reasonable cause, he says, to not fire a continuation bet. Uh, he gives an example. Uh, say you had ace-king suited, only the button calls you, and then the flop is uh, jack-10-9, two diamonds. He said, checking here is acceptable as would be folding a bet should your opponent make one. Yeah, I mean, you've missed the flop, but it's not completely terrible for you either. Right. So um, so right here they're saying, see if you can get a free card. Well, you know, if you're last to act, uh, well, in this case you said the button called? Well, if the button does call uh, or the button does make a bet against you, then, then you have to decide what to do then. But he said that that becomes a whole other story. Yeah, well, that's because they now have position on you. Right, right. You know, so um, there's so many. There. Who who wrote this article again, Big Dave? I'm sorry. I, I, I had a little status. Uh, Avery Wilson. Okay. So, all right. So what is number two then? Number two is when you are out of position. He said uh, more often than not, uh, the, your opening raise will, will win you post-flop position. Uh, but you can occasionally be caught out of position post-flop, which can re present another reason to forego. Uh, he said, for example, maybe you raise the cutoff with pocket tens, the button calls, the flop comes uh, king, jack, four. Uh, he said yeah, check well, calling or check folding is the preference here. Right. Well, in this particular case, you had somebody who, who called a raise in front of them. And now you've got two overcards to your pocket pair. That sounds like a smart move. You might get lucky, and they could have hit a king, and they're thinking, well, maybe he's slow playing something. Check behind you, and then you get lucky and hit a 10 or something. But, yeah, that, that's, that to me is a place to check there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, number three would be is if there are multiple opponents still in the hand. Uh, if you get multiple callers, then uh, certainly – Continuation betting is not automatic against two, three, or more opponents. A favorable flop, you need to see bet. But if it's a if it's a if it's a big hand field still in the hand, there are arguments uh, in favor of uh, see betting versus most you know certain opponents under certain situations. But he gives an example. Uh, say you're in the hijack seat, you raise with king queen of uh, spades. Get calls from the cutoff, the button, and both blinds, and the five of you see a flop with ace, ten, deuce. Just one spade, but two diamonds. And both the blinds check, 
He says against one opponent, you know, a continuation bet would certainly be in order. Flops containing a high cards, generally good to see bet as they tend, he says, to, to hit your perceived raised range and miss the ranges of most callers. So he said, but if there's so many opponents and only a gut shot draw for on which to hope, he says, can really uh, set you up for problems. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, if I raise, if I raise pre-flop and I get three, four, five callers, you, know, you don't hit that flop, you know, and it gets to you and you didn't hit anything, that's, a, that's an automatic check. And if someone bets into you, you know, then nine out of ten times you're letting that hand go unless, you know, you've got a great draw to, to your hand. So Right. Uh, that's That, to me, I think most players know that. You've got a lot of players in there. Uh, at least one overcard and nothing else, you know, heading in your direction. That's that's a a check or fold in my in my opinion most of the times. Right. Uh, if you only have one lone opponent uh, going around the board and he's very aggressive, uh, he said uh, maybe that's the time to avoid c betting. Uh, he said you can check rather than c bet if you're out of position. Give them a chance to bet, and then uh, allowing you to either call and slow play or check raise and start building a pot there. But against particularly loose, inattentive opponents, whether you see bet or not uh, isn't necessarily that significant to them. So, uh, again, he gives another example. He says, you raise from under the gun with pocket aces and get called by a loose, aggressive opponent on the button, and the flop comes king, seven, deuce, rainbow. And you check, make it more inviting for him to bet and get attached to his hand when you are likely ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, there's so many different scenarios, but yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Uh, finally, he says, uh, you know, you should, you, you should strive not to perform any action consistently so that people get a chance to uh, exploit your play by paying when they pay attention and they can get you figured out very easily. Uh, he says, don't continuation bet every time you've raised preflop, but also don't choose to only see bet in certain easy to read situations. He said, sometimes you just want to balance your play uh, to check the flop, even with a decent hand to mix, to mix your play up. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that goes back to where you don't want anybody getting a read on you. You know, and and you know, putting you putting you in a box where they know that if you bet nine out of ten times, you have it, so on and so forth. And like what you mentioned beforehand, where you know, it's continuation bet to people who don't pay attention. You know, when you're trying to get them out of the pot, again, it doesn't. This all this this all you know leans on whether you're what type of opponents you have, Big Dave. You know. And that's how I've always based my continuation bets. And, you know, it is true. You know, I don't know how you do it, Dave, but I sometimes you, you hit the pot really strong and you want to bet it because you, you're hoping to tell these people, oh, he's bluffing. Other times you want to check it. Uh, you, know, you definitely have to change up your style of play, you know, to confuse your opponents and, for the most part, get maximum, maximum out of your hand as far as uh, when you do hit those hands. You want to get paid off on so right he said the 
how the bet is going to be perceived basically is what contributes to your image at the table, and that's what you want to uh, disrupt uh, the patterns that are can be easily figured out and, and interpreted by the way you, you do make your continuation bet. Yep. I agree. I agree. It's like I said, it's all about poker is a game of deception, you know, <laughs> and, and, and if you're able to con constantly keep your opponent, you know, com confused, uh, in the long run, the smart players were going to be, you know, be way ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, that's an interesting discussion there. Uh, you know, some of these things, uh, you know, are all dependent on uh, the way your table, you know, is set up and the kind of players that you have. Uh, how how long in a in a game does it take you to really figure out, uh, you know, what your opponents are are doing? Well, Dave, sometimes they're so good you don't figure it out at all. Yeah. You know, you you, you, you get a read and you go, let me see if they do this. Um, again, it depends. If these are regulars that play within a regular either home game, play the same level, um, you get a read, you know, and you got to constantly be updating that information because guess what? Somebody may have informed them. They may have read up on something. They may have taken online classes. And all of a sudden they realize that, you know, there's a leak in their game and they've plugged it up. And until you watch them, you know, um, and you go, oh, oh, my God, they did this so differently. You know, now you've got to readjust your, your notes, your, your thinking on these people. So there are some players, Dave, that you can kind of almost figure out within the first hour just because – they just either constantly raise where you know they, there's no way in the world they have this. Um, you know, others, it takes a little bit of time. It, it, each individual player is going to find out if it's a novice player to the game, a novice player to the limits that you're playing at right now. You know, um, there are players that play, let's say, one, two, two, five, no limit, and all of a sudden they've kicked up, they've had a lot of success, and they kicked up their game you know, to a 10-25 or, you know, something larger. And then now all of a sudden, you know, what worked in the lower limits are not working now, and it might take them a time to adjust to it before they realize, hey, this doesn't work with more sophisticated uh, players or players with deeper pockets. So, you know, the, the observation never, to be honest with you, the answer is it never stops. <laughs> it yeah. never stops. Yeah, I believe so, it. So, you know. Adjustments have to be made on the fly, um, you know, and a good poker player is constantly updating their, their notes on players, their, you know, uh, what kind of, not to say tells, but, you know, what kind of patterns they're following. Have they adjusted because they've gotten, you know, they've gotten their asses handed to them a couple of times. So um, it's a very hard question to answer with just one simple answer, Dave. Yeah, exactly. Just like everything in poker, basically, it, uh, you know, you need to take all the information available to you and uh, go through it and come up with, uh, you know, ways to combat them. But uh, isn't that a big important part of, uh, you know, getting some help outside for people to look at the way you're playing and maybe, you know, not actually in the tournament itself, but maybe after it's over, they look at some of your hand histories and that sort of thing and help you out in, in trying not to uh, have these patterns. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, sometimes people read up on it. They take lessons. Uh, you know, 
you know, have a, uh, you know, question and answer session with friends that are much better players, people that they respect as players. Um, but I'll give you an example, Dave. This past Friday, we had, uh, it's almost like a, a nostalgic Friday for us, Dave. We had um, a bunch of our old-time players that used to play very crazy games, okay? And this game was a 2-5 with a mandatory $25 button straddle, okay? Okay. And these guys were uh, feeling no pain, if you know what I mean. Most of them couldn't drive home, put it that way. Okay. But, um, you know, the case was they were chasing one particular person on the table. And, um, you know, the things that I saw was strange because I saw people raising with nothing and people calling with nothing, people betting, you know, on the river with absolutely nothing and someone calling with absolutely nothing and the better nothing won, you know. And I kept saying, wow, this, you know, this has got to be the alcohol-related, you know, (laughs) effects effects of these hands because – but the more I started to watch – I realized that they were, you know, targeting one particular player. Really? And, yeah, they were targeting, you know, they would play heads up against each other, but the one particular player would just raise in. And as I started noticing it, yeah, on, on occasions, these guys did wake up with a you know, large pocket pair or ace-king, but they were they were taking the smaller advantages knowing that this person was raising or going all in with practically any two cards. So, you know, um, you you took it upon yourself that, hey, if I decide to call, the other guys aren't going to call. And I know that I'm going to get it in there with the better two cards, which, you know, probability tells you that you should come out ahead, you know, uh, more more often than not, and and you take your chances like that. I personally don't like to play poker like that, but you know there is there is something to be said for that. If you know your opponent is constantly going to get his or her money in there, you know, with the worst of it, you know, unless you're having a really bad night and they're sucking out on you, you you're going to be a winner in the long run, you know. Were they were they were they what, tar- That's what happened that night. Were they targeting him uh, because they just saw an opportunity to make some money because of the way he was playing, or was it personal? Was there a past history uh, that made them? Well, well, listen, w- these people get to the have guy. played. These people have played with each other. There's more than one. There's more than one, and there. I know someone who was taken for a huge amount of money the night before, privately, and he's one of the nicest people I know, and you know. Haven't been able to quote protect him because he hasn't been playing it at, at my, you know in my room, but um, you know there are players there that these people know, and this is you know I hate to say this, Dave, but um, more so in the, in the private game, it becomes a predatory type of game, okay, where you know the, they know. Your your weakness as far as you know, hey, you, you know, you like to have a good time and have a couple of drinks, and you know, once you've crossed whatever your line is for your limit on drinks, you know, they have no problem continuing to push it down the <laughs> throat because right. they know this makes you make horrendous decisions. Right. And uh, you know, 
<sighs> I'm not saying that was the case at Friday, but, uh, you know, it happens. I've seen it happen, and what really sucks is sometimes it comes from someone who you believe is, quote, a poker friend, mm. you know, and <clears throat> in essence, they're more of a predator. They realize you've got a lot of money, and they're going to exploit, you know, it's one thing to exploit your weakness as a poker player, and sometimes it's another to exploit your weakness as, as, a, as a human being. Right. And in this case, they, they go after both. How did it uh, end up? Did the uh, this one guy uh, have to crawl uh, out of there with empty up. pockets? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then so he left, and they they, they got a big case. laugh. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a particular player who who has extremely deep pockets, as it, as does the other player that I was mentioning. Um, you know, and uh, some of the other players that are in the game are super nice people who just love to play. They're just not being taken advantage of. And being that it's, you know, obviously it's an action game. This is a big action game, you know. And, um, you know, guess what? <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're willing to allow yourself to consistently, you know, get put into a position where, you know, you're definitely not at your best, and you can't control whatever you know, whatever demons <laughs> are tugging at you. Uh, gambling is definitely not a place. Poker room or the casino in general is not a place for you to be. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, okay. And so you know, yeah, it's 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 something that you know uh, it's fun to see for a while, but then you obviously you know with the years I have in this business, I you know. I don't like the people that are taking advantage of other people. So. Well, the other thing is, if they uh, beat him really bad several times in a row, he's just going to disappear from the game, and that's uh, live money that's gone. Well, in normal cases, yeah, you know, most normal cases, people get their ass handed to them, and they they'll drop fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand or more in a game, and wake up and say, "Hey, you know, jam, I let myself, you know." get to a point where I didn't know what the hell was going on. And if you're smart enough, you'll realize, hey, no one really gave a crap about me yeah. to stop me. And you stop. Sometimes it's like anything else. You know, you just you just believe you had bad luck. And, you know, the con game kind of continues all yeah. over again. So eventually you either run out of money or someone, someone that does care about you, uh, you know, finds a way to, you know, put some sense in your head yeah exactly so. okay well let's take a break here in the show when we come back we'll talk a little bit about what's happening on some of the rooms uh not only here in south florida but around the state uh, a couple of big tournaments coming up this week and uh, we'll let you know about those uh also i want to get to this uh, jonathan little hand which was pretty interesting because not only did he talk about how you uh, shouldn't fold a hand too easily? Uh, sometimes, if you if you have a very aggressive player that you're playing against, sometimes you got to hang in there and pick up a big pot because uh, he's misrepresenting what he he might have in the hand. So I'll get to that as well. You're listening to Poker Action Line, Big Dave and Joe, and we'll be back with more of the show when we return after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. 
Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. From the vantage point, Mafatu saw six war canoes drawn upon the beach, but what held the boy's eyes in awful trance were the figures springing and leaping about the flames, darting, shifting, bounding toward the sky, the eaters of men. Cannibals. Firelight glistened on their oiled bodies, on flashing spears and bristling decorations. Mafatu watched the strange scene, powerless to move, and he felt doom itself breathing chill upon his neck. In that very instant, he heard a crashing in the undergrowth. Four figures were tearing toward him through the jungle. He could see them now. He turned and ran blindly down the trail, slipping, sliding, stumbling, his breath all but choking in his throat. Only one thought gave him courage as he ran, his canoe ready and waiting. If only he could reach it before the savages overtook him. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez, as we continue another edition of Poker Action Line. Uh, things happening in the state of Florida. I think one of the main things, although uh, it was pretty obvious that uh, a lot of people feel that uh, the pandemic is over because there's jumping on planes and flying all over the country. Uh, we've seen a lot of that over the past week. Uh, probably not a good thing, but, uh, you know, there's uh, a certain amount of COVID uh uh, awareness that uh, some people never had and some people are just tired of it, you know, so they're uh, going on to live their lives. Uh, but uh, one of the things unique you can always keep in mind is if you're tired of being in town and you'd like to make some kind of poker trip, you might choose one that you can drive to. And there's a couple events here in South, one in South Florida, one in North Florida that are major events. Uh, and the funny thing is uh, they're pretty much at exactly the same time, uh, which you know, maybe they feel they're far enough apart that it doesn't really matter. 
but uh, Palm Beach Kennel Club is hosting what they're calling the Palm Beach Poker Classic with 300,000 in guarantees, and they're going to stream the final table. Uh, the main event. When is that going to be, Big Dave? That is the 18th. Uh, let's see. March 18th through the 28th. Starts off with a uh, an event on Thursday, the 18th, with a 20,000 guarantee. It's a monster, ta- monster stack tournament, 240 buy-in. Uh, most of the tournaments are either 130 or 240 till you get to the main, which is uh, the $200,000 guaranteed championship event of that tournament on uh, Friday, the 26th, March 26th. And that will take place uh, with day two the following day on the 27th. And they'll finish things up, I guess, uh, on uh, the 28th. So three days of the tournament there. Uh, $1,100 buy-in in that one for the 200000 guarantee. Uh, there's also a bunch of satellites mixed in with that as well, and that will be at the Palm Beach Kennel Club up on their second floor uh, poker uh, tournament room. Uh, we know these guys real well. Joe, you've worked with Will and, uh, and Noah and Tim. Uh, always run a good, solid event. Yeah, they are, absolutely do. Well, Noah's run a, an outstanding room since day one in this in this state, so uh, whatever they do over there always seems to be first class and and done very well. Yeah, absolutely. Then farther away from here, but uh, say, for instance, you're in Tampa or Orlando, it might be midway between the two, and that is the best bet room up in uh, Jacksonville, which uh, is always a good room, Deb Giardino and, uh, and crew up there. They're calling it their spring series, and that all gets underway on the same day, Thursday, March 18th, with a 560 buy-in tournament. Uh, three opening days sessions in that one. And uh, no mention of a guarantee, but uh, they certainly will have a lot of events. Uh, their main event is, let's see, their main event is a $2,500 buy-in with two opening sessions and same days as Palm Beach, March 26th and March 27th. So it's directly in competition. I don't know who set that up first, but uh, they're really not close enough uh, together that it really is going to really affect one or the other. No, I would think. that's uh, that's not going to be anything. And and on the 28th, I'm having a very a smaller tournament of a 5,000 guarantee. That's not going to affect me either. All the way up in West Palm Beach. No, for sure. And then uh, what's the buy-in? Did you say what the buy-in was? Oh, for for what? For my for my tournament? tournament? Yeah. Yeah, my tournament is more. It's a sixty dollar buy in with 60, fifty dollar okay. rebuys and and, okay. a, and then add on after the registration period ends. So and that's the you know, that's the tournament, tournament that you've had. That's the one you've had success with. Uh, last right, time. right. You know, we've run it twice. We've had a great turnout for it. Uh, you know, we've um, well, first one we we got up to sixty seven hundred dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, sixty four hundred dollars in guarantee. The um, first place went from twenty five, excuse me, twenty five hundred to thirty one fifty, and and the second one was just a little, a little below that. So it wasn't bad at all. You know, people have enjoyed it. We've paid more places than we had, you know, guaranteed, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a small, fun tournament. That's all that is. Right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned the Dania Poker Room uh, and their uh, attempt to uh, get people in there early at nine a.m. with a big giveaway for the first hour. 
Uh, I guess you won't be too surprised to hear that uh, they are getting some people in there, you know, 15, 20 people right at the start of the hour. A lot of times there hasn't been a qualifying hand in the first hour. It's carried over to the second with an extra 100 or 150. And, uh, you know, eventually someone will finally hit it. It has to be aces full or better. And uh, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that after the hand is hit, there's everybody a, goes home. <laughs> there's a fl- there's a flying line out the door. Uh, you know, it's hard sure to keep is. people in there because they're headed sure for is. other I other mean, places you know. that having big high hand giveaways. Uh, brother, it's just you know, it's a nature. I mean, Big Dave, they had a a a, a logbook. I don't know if they still continue it. Had no reason for this, but when I started working at Dania, they had been open for oh my God, a little less than a year. Okay, I started in October, and I think they opened in January of 16. And for some reason, they made us put in a log number of how much in promotion had been given away as to how much was taken in and the difference. And good Lord, by the time I started there, it was well over a million. Right. And that's just a lot of money to offer these people and for them not to, you know, not to react to it and... No, they they definitely tried to get that room going, but that room, as you and I both know, Dave, we played it there a long time ago with our with your good friend Nick Sordle, uh has always been a a tournament room, right? And that's where they made their money, and um, you know it's it's just so difficult, Dave. Uh, trust me, I'm going through it now too. You know, we're producing revenue here, but nowhere near what our competitors are and you know it, it takes a long time to try to grab some of these people back you remember i used to do great numbers out of out of casino miami but once the uh, previous administration uh had taken over from the one i worked for and, and killed the room it just becomes that much more difficult to pick up your room and my guess would be that's what went into the thinking at Gulfstream because they haven't opened up um not sure what the aisle is doing up there. I mean, I hear they're they're you know they're doing better. Coming back, yeah, they're know? doing better. And um, you know, I don't want to mention what I heard um, from people that I because I haven't had a chance to speak with my brother-in-law up in Calder, but uh, you know, it's going to be a very tough uphill battle also. And uh, you know, they're in a they're in a much more uh, worse position in in in, in regards to. You know, they're like the uh, the Western version of Dania, uh, where Dania to me is in the lion's den, with so many casinos within a short while. And you know, Calder, the only difference is maybe it's an additional five or ten minutes of travel time from the other casinos. So right, right. It's, it's a difficult position, and and you know, Dave Berman is doing his best, I'm sure, over there, trying to get that to work, but um, it, it's going to be tough and. You said they took out all the tables. There's only like seven or eight poker tables now. Where, where at? At Dania. Uh, no, the other tables are still there, but they just have the plexiglass on the six that are on the uh, the back wall side of the uh, poker room. Okay, because if I remember one of the emails that they saw, I'm on their mailing list. You know, they'll offer up to four hundred dollars, um, up to four hundred dollars uh, a half hour in high hands. 
but that's based on on eight tables. Eight, eight tables, right? So right. they have this. So, they have the know, six. They have the six regular tables, and then they have the two high limit tables that they have a special game at. So you almost have to uh, depend on those guys being there at the time to to get the top payoffs. No, and I guarantee you, if that thousand dollars goes within that first hour, these people aren't even waiting for the hour to be over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's true. You know, it's a sad, it's a sad situation, but you know, it's something, you know not to that amount of money, but, you know, stuff that we've talked about for over the years, you know, that that's the problem when we try to buy our customers and, you know, that's, I'm going to give you an example, Dave. Last Tuesday I had a uh, dealer's meeting, you know, to go over a bunch of, you know, different things that I want to let my, my, my staff know. And afterwards I decided to just stop by Hialeah, which I had never been by. I think I mentioned in, in Magic City. And, you know, the anomaly here is Magic City. You know, to their credit, it doesn't matter what their promotion is. They're going to have six, seven tables and a real poker, you know, because I don't call 2-4 real poker, although, you know, it, it is generating revenue in my room. But when you open up the doors, I was there by 11, 15, 11, 30 at the latest in Magic City. They had two two fives running, three one twos and three two fours. You can go to almost any other casino in the South Florida, and you won't see that. You'll you'll see right. an overwhelming number of two four limit games. You know, chasing the high hand. They, you know, they were just there. The amount of money that they were giving away was nothing spectacular, and yet, you know, the players who play two five and the one twos are not there for the high hands. They're actually there to play real poker. Right. And that's something that um, we've gotten away from because of the two four players, you know, in the state, you know, down here. You just won't see this anywhere else in the country. There's no reason to chase these two four players. Um, you know, they generate just enough income to make the promotion worthwhile, I guess, a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad for me, Dave, you know, that I've been in this business for so long that I've never in my entire life chased a, a high hand. You know, if I got one, it was fine. It was like an added bonus. Right. But I didn't go to play poker, you know, based anywhere on yeah. based on whatever they were giving. I, I went to play poker trying to beat the players at the table just like they were there to take my money. I was there to take their money. You know, and if you ran into a, a $200, $300 bonus hand because you happen to hit a, you know, a high hand, you you know, while these two, four players are strictly playing for that. You know, yeah. like I said well, on the show before, they're playing po bingo poker. That's yeah. all they're doing. Well, I've so. never I've never chased a high hand uh, because I'm never lucky enough to win one, so uh, I don't expect <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to mention at Dane, since we're talking about Dane, where I'm working at High Lie, and uh, you have worked there in the past. Uh, right around the corner, there's an old time restaurant that opened 64 years ago called Grandpa's, and they've been closed since the pandemic started in March. And uh, the owner, Ronnie Grandpa, passed away a few years ago, but his wife still owned the place and was one of the favorites of a lot of people. It was featured on uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives or whatever that show's called with Guy Fieri. Yeah. Uh, uh, they have been uh, sold, 
And we'll be reopening in April. Uh, a couple of fellows from New York, uh, Mark Freed from uh, Bagel Boys Cafe in Airmont, New York, and uh, Mark Goldberg from Goldberg's Famous Bagels in the Hamptons uh, bought the place, and they're going to be reopening it in Aren't April. Aren't they near Jackson's? Yeah, it's right across from Jackson's. Jackson's. Oh, okay, that's what... Jackson's faces uh, federal and uh, the first side street is grandpa's there, but uh, great place. If uh, you know, they reopen, if you're in the Dania area playing poker, it's a great place to have dinner. Anyway, that will be reopening sometime in April. And uh, I just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, let's get to this other hand that I wanted to talk about with uh, Jonathan little, because uh, it's, it's an interesting, uh, basically an interesting hand that, uh, uh, he discusses in uh, one of the previous uh, issues, and let me find it here for myself. Okay, it's in uh, the magazine. Uh, basically, it is, let's see, let me get the date on here. Check out the front. The January 13th issue. Anyway, he talks about not being afraid of calling down. And, uh, you know, you can be too aggressive at times, but uh, a lot of times people will show the better part of valor and uh, get out of a hand. And sometimes you could do it too early. He talks about a hand in a $5,000 tournament uh, where there was a young Brazilian guy across the table from him, very loose and aggressive player, which he considers himself to be as well. Uh, he said they had gone up against each other a couple of times. And uh, he said he, he called down with middle pair both times and he was successful. But this hand he had, uh, it was the blinds were 100 and 200. Uh, Little says he raised from the cutoff to 600 out of his $40,000 stack. And, uh, or, or actually the Brazilian player uh, raised from the cutoff to 600. And he three bet to, little bet three bet to 2,000 holding two black queens. Uh, he said, normally you want, and you might make roughly a pot size bet when three betting. But you should make it a little bit larger when you're out of position. So the other player called, and the flop came down with two black aces and the six of diamonds. So he said queens are kind of a marginal hand if there's two aces on a flop like that. But, uh, you know, because obviously the other player can have an ace, and you'd be in big trouble. But he said in this case he felt like uh, he had the best hand and was opponent was drawing thin. So he said he's trying to figure out how to proceed with a hand. Um, he says if you're going to check queens in this spot, then uh, also be sure to check some trips as well that can easily check and call down on all three streets. Uh, he said he did check. His opponent uh, bet $2,500 into the $4,200 pot. Uh, he said, many recreational players see an ace in the flop and will instantly go into the check fold mode with an underpair. But you, uh, you should rarely be looking to get away from a spot like this against an aggressive opponent because his range is very wide, especially when he just calls my pre-flop three bet. So he's thinking about the uh, possible range of hands that the other player could have. Uh, and... Uh, so he called, uh, he called in this hand, and the turn came with a five of hearts. He said, I checked, and he bet 5000 into the $9,200 pot. So he wasn't too concerned, he said, about uh, being up against trip aces. 
but he said uh, that could give him some straight draws that could uh, that could make him happily continue to to bluff. Uh, so anyway, uh, player bet out, and he called. Uh, Jonathan called, which brings us to the river, which was a seven of diamonds. And the opponent bet 12,000 into a pot that had now swelled to 19,200. So what are you thinking as you hear this? Well, you, you, you've gone this far believing that your opponent didn't have an ace. You, you know, he could have easily have had uh, whatever it was, uh, you know, a drawer, let's say. Um, like you said, to the straight. Uh, maybe your opponent is playing on your weakness of checking, you know, and thinking, well, if I continue to bet, he's going to put me on an ace. My opponent doesn't have an ace. If you didn't put your opponent on an ace there with that board that you're reading me, I'm going to call him down, and he's going to have to show me an ace or, you know, or, or you know, a full house of some sort because you, you figure the guy didn't repop you, so he doesn't have kings. He didn't have aces. He would have probably repopped you, so... Um, you're either way ahead or way behind in this particular. It's not going to be one of those where he just nips you at at the wire. Right. Um, and if you made those calls and that was your intuition, I make the call on the river. He said basically from playing with him that uh, uh, he had shown a willingness, the, his opponent, to uh, bet multiple times as a bluff. And he said he also thought that his opponent was smart enough to use the same size bets with his bluffs and value bets. So when he made the bets that he did, he said he wasn't really indicating strength or weakness. So that's why he tried to decide to make the call on the river and his opponent uh, turned up queen Jack. There you go. So he there wins. The, so he wins the hand and he said, of course he could have had an ace and that would have changed things a lot. But he, he said it was a fairly easy call for him with what was a marginal bluff catcher. If he believed he had an ace, you, you know, you know what a huge underdog you are hoping to, you know, get a full house on him because now you've got to spike one of your two queens. So, you know, you've got to make that, in my opinion, when I've made calls like this, uh, you know, I've put my opponent on a hand and I was hell-bent on that. You know, if that board did not read anything that could have helped him, you know, I'm thinking he's just, you know, he's going to fire one bullet, two bullets, three bullets into this. And if I believe my opponent to have an ace, I would have folded my hand. I'm not going to try to chase, uh, you know, a two-outer with the queen. So, uh, you know, to me this was, not, I don't want to say an easy call, but based on the other information that you gave me afterwards, you know, I'm, once, I, once I call the <laughs> flop, uh, if nothing comes on the turn in the river that, that to me seems that could have made a hand for him, I'm, right. I'm making the call. Well, he says he felt like it was a t in, with his math uh, that he did on the hand, he, he 20, 28% of the time he needed to have the best hand in order to profit by calling. So uh, basically, uh, again, he's saying, you know, sometimes you just got to stay in there and go with your feel. And you're not passing up on a nice pot that you may have given up if you were uh, too quick to get out. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for the show. Well, we come to the end of the time here. 
And uh, I know a big week ahead for you, Joe. Uh, you're trying to make plans and whether you're going to run another tournament as well. And, of course, as we mentioned, uh, lots of big tournaments starting this week and through the weekend in Florida, including Jacksonville and Palm Beach, and lots of stuff going at all the regular rooms as well. So let's uh, let's call it quits today, and uh, we'll be back with another show next week. Joe, thank you for everything, and Joe Costello as well. Thank you. As uh, we move to the end of another program, we'll be back next week with more here on our show. We hope you will uh, join us every week. Of course, you can always pick us up on SoundCloud, Spotify, and all the other uh, places where you get your podcasts. Check us out on the Holden Radio Network, the Poker Fuse podcast page, and a few other places. We always invite you to uh, rate the show and uh, subscribe to it if you can do so on the uh, place where you get your podcasts. And we'll bring you additional shows every week as we head into the big season, things moving forward here in the state of Florida. Looking forward to a big summer down here as well. Thanks for everything. We hope you'll join us next week here on another edition of Poker Action Live. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 